Hey everyone, welcome to Alumless. I am Ryan Catherwood. Thank you so much for joining us. It is Friday, March the 1st. Hard to believe it is March the 1st already. We are cruising quickly into the spring. I am joined by Chris Marshall, who is the CEO of CMAC. On the show, we talk about alumni and donor engagement strategies and educational advancement. If you have any questions for Chris or myself, or you'd like to say hello to our special guest today, Cheryl Harrelson from the University of California, San Diego, we welcome you to do so in the chat of the LinkedIn event or um, where we can see your comments. And if we don't have time to answer your comments during the live show, we'll be sure to answer them in the bonus segment, which is available on the podcast edition. And it's there on the podcast edition that we actually have our Friday cheers section of alumnus. We always talk about some things that are not about advancement, uh, which is kind of a fun thing to do. Uh, but before we get too far into the show, I'd like to take a moment and thank our fantastic sponsor, Protopia. Protopia has created a transformational AI-powered technology that matches questions from students or recent graduates with alumni all over the world that are perfectly positioned to answer them. Without asking alumni to be mentors or participate in programs spread out over months or sign up for an app or a platform, Protopia makes scaling introductions simple. Questions get submitted and Protopia's AI does all the work. Protopia can even target stakeholders like young alumni or lapsed donors and provide them with a meaningful volunteer experience. And who isn't trying to scale volunteerism? Visit protopia.co forward slash alumnus for more details and check out the technology that schools like Duke, Denison, Florida State, the London School of Economics are all using to engage their alumni. Ah, oh, well, Chris, how's it going? Happy Friday. Good, happy Friday. Do you guys do Rabbit Rabbit on the first day of the month in your house? What's no, what's Rabbit Rabbit? It's a thing my wife's family does. They, it's the first thing you say when you get up on the first day of the, each month, you say Rabbit Rabbit and it brings you good luck. I have no idea where it comes from. Uh -huh. Rabbit Rabbit. Is that like, is that uh, like, you know, Irish or Scottish? There's like a particular. I'll, I'll, I'll research and come back to you, right? <laughs> okay. All right. Sounds like something, you know, that would be. Uh, some sort of a cultural thing, the yeah, rabbit rabbit. Probably, but, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, so we got a great show planned with Cheryl from UCSD. We're going to get into a, a great conversation with her. Um, but I wanted, I guess, to kick off the conversation, starting a little bit about, um, you know, our value proposition as a consulting practice. I, I had a call the other day with um, a potential a new client who was asking me, hey, uh, what differentiates you all from other consulting practices? And I, I had a response, but I thought, you know, why not kick off the show by Chris? You t you share what is our value proposition at CMAC these days? I want to know what you said in that sales call, but let me. <laughs> you can tell me later. I'll tell you what I would have said. But um, remember the old James Bond movie, and there was a theme song that said, "Nobody does it better." That that's us. That's the, that's sounds the about right. About all you need to say. Yeah, um, and and that's a little bit, a little bit of a, a hubris there. But um, you know, I, I do, I do think when we look at our, there's now eight of us. Welcome to officially now to Patrick Auerbach. We announced it yesterday on LinkedIn that he's joined us, and you put us all together. There's no firm that has more collective experience than we have. Um, you know, me personally and us all together, no one has looked under the hood of more alumni programs in the country. So those are the right of the gate first two. Uh, but I also think you know we deliver a very thorough data-driven, 
bespoke product to every client. We don't do a cookie cutter, you know, standard, you know, cut and paste report back to each client. We do a very customized version for each one and we deliver clear, actionable recommendations with next steps. Um, and the other thing that I, I, I always say too, is that we stay with you. We, we, you know, we'll show you the path, but we'll also walk down the path with you. So those are what I would have said, right? How did, how did, how did I do compared to what you said? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I talked about in our, our emphasis on integrated advancement yeah, and, yeah. you know, thinking about that unapologetically, right. I think that's an important piece of the puzzle. Yeah, it's a great I talk one. a little great bit dad. more about our diverse background as consultants, our digital background, background in career services, some additional components. But, but you know, throughout your experience in, in higher ed, you know, you both as a consultant and then leading alumni teams, you've had the chance to participate in uh, case programs, but then other organizations like Pequod and CAAE. And, and I actually understand that uh, folks were talking about you at the, the last meeting. And <laughs> Probably we're talking about the fact that, you know, Patrick is now part of our team because he's, yeah. you know, particularly with Pequod, he's that was a pretty well-known uh, person there. But, you know, when you think about these organizations, these kind of guiding associations and, and leadership uh, groups, uh, what do you think about? Yeah, the, the CA meeting was several weeks ago and we announced Patrick yesterday. I'm pretty sure it was the worst kept secret during the month of February that people knew, but uh, Pequod, CAAE, there's a SCAD, there's a NEAR, there's a whole bunch of other ones out there that do similar, uh, the group called ARE, I helped start here, Alumni Relations Exchange here in the Northeast. And um, I think of them as communities of practice. Uh, and, and, and these are, oftentimes you're dealing with the same, the person who deals with the same stuff, I'll say it that way nicely on the web, uh, the same stuff you deal with in your own job. And when you can meet with people who are dealing with those same things, you just learn a ton. So it, it includes data sharing, best practice sharing. And my favorite part of all of it, though, it was uh, regular therapy <laughs> to sit with people who were dealing with the same challenges I was dealing with. So that's what I like. Kind best of camaraderie there too, right? Say again? Yeah. Kind of a camaraderie amongst, you know, the leadership group and combination of some gossiping a little kvetching here and there with a with a dose of uh best yeah. practice ideas right you got it you got it all of the above but it's really a, that the ultimate thing is that community of practice is how i think of it yeah <laughs> community of practice well let's bring out uh, cheryl to the conversation so we can chat with her a little about that we are thrilled to introduce cheryl harrelson Cheryl is the Associate Vice President for Alumni Annual Giving and Pipeline Development at UC San Diego, and she is soon to be the Vice President for University Advancement at Georgia State University, President of the Georgia State Foundation, which is awesome. Thank you, Cheryl, for joining us. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah. Well, some of your colleagues at CAAE have been on the show before, and we know some of their thoughts on the subject of engagement. How aligned or, or divergent were the opinions at the most recent CAA meeting? Maybe you can sort of offer us a uh, a flavor of what some don't, of those don't conversations disclose any are like. secrets, though. I know there's some yeah, trade no secrets, secrets, of course, <laughs> or maybe a few. Right, break some news here on alumnus. All the secrets are locked in the vault. Uh, mm -hmm. So 
thank you for that question. I, I actually think we're pretty aligned in what our best practices are, where we think we're going in the future, that sort of thing. Um, I, I think where we diverge is uh, asking the question, are we frontline fundraisers? Are we part of the philanthropy and all of that good stuff? And so everyone had a different opinion. Uh, but I will give you my personal opinion uh, that we one, we're all frontline because we are part of the model. Uh, fundraising and philanthropy have gone together for a long time, but it's not what philanthropy means. Philanthropy is about um, helping those doing for the good of others, usually expressed by um, dollars. But in today's time, it's about time, talent, and treasure. So if you're thinking of philanthropy in that way, we are all frontline uh, people. Yeah. And I love to add that we also also ask alumni to contribute their networks and um, their, their connections. Advocacy, and yep. yep. Advocacy, yep. yeah. We, we definitely, as all part of advancement, all part of philanthropy, right? Yes. And it's uh, fundraising a big piece of the puzzle. We are all part of that fundraising apparatus. Um, so, Chris, so, during our, our before you go, Ryan, I'm sorry, yeah. I, interrupt, I, I told you I was going to go off script. Where did you? Is that philanthropy definition Webster's dictionary or something you picked up along the way, or just something you sort of believe at your core? No, it's it's in the North American uh, um, dictionary, and you can actually Google it right online. And you'll see a definition and there are other places where you see other definitions that add that. So it, it has made it to, um, you know, the various dictionaries or what have you yeah. in, in terms of what philanthropy really is. Yep. Love it. Cheryl, Cheryl in building uh, engagement models that focus on diverse affinity groups is something that you've been focused on and have really uh, put a lot of emphasis in that area at UCSD. Can you tell listeners um, some of that work that you've been doing in that area? Sure, absolutely. Uh, so I would say that uh, we have at least four affinity groups on our campus. And the critical thing is ensuring that they feel, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about this uh, down the road, of feeling like they feel a part of and belong at the university. As I go out and talk with um, alumni of different groups, and it, it doesn't have to just mean a person of color. Um, I I hear, I don't feel like I fit in um, at UC San Diego. I'm not a part of that. So we have worked with groups. I specifically, I'll tell you about a Black alumni group. Um, it's not that they're an association or anything. We pulled them together for a special event and we kept following up every quarter, every quarter you know, and then all of a sudden they started showing up at events. They started bringing people with them because we made them feel like they're part of UC San Diego. I had to do a lot of apologizing uh, <laughs> for whatever happened in the past. And that's okay to do those sorts of things uh, to bring people back in. 
letting people understand that we are not the same university today that we were 60 some odd years ago when we started. And there's a place for everyone uh, on our campus and as a part of our alumni base. Let's expand on that. Um, so you and I had a, we tell a secret here that you and I had a prep call, which uh, most people would think we just wing this, but we actually do prepare for these with script and everything and thoughtfully consider the question. So I really appreciate the time we had together. It was really fun to connect with you again. Uh, and in that call, you talked about, you referenced it just in your last answer, you talked about the B in DEIB, the belonging. And and that was a particular area of focus for you. Expand on that. Tell the audience what you what you share with me, if you don't mind. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest, Chris. I don't know exactly what I shared, <laughs> shared that day. But, you know, it, it, I want to go back to what I just said. It's about everybody feeling like they belong as a part of our institution. Um, our alumni now are... Our university is so diverse uh, at this point. I even talk with people with Caucasian who say, I don't, I was uncomfortable at UC San Diego. And so inviting people in, making them feel comfortable about the surroundings and what we do, inviting people to conversations, uh, events, you know, at homecoming. We, uh, I started homecoming at UC San Diego about six years ago, and we don't have a football team. So, you know, it wasn't about, you know, having this big blowout uh, in terms of football and that sort of thing. We made homecoming to fit UC San Diego uh, classrooms, allowing people to sit in classrooms. So alumni come back for that. We invited parents back to for Parents Weekend. We have a big Ferris wheel at homecoming. We do corn hall, you know, all of those kinds of things. And so now everybody has gotten into it, our provost, our deans, uh, adding to uh, what makes a great weekend that allows everyone to feel like they are part of or that there's something there uh, for them to come back to. And I think that's how we've been able to get um, many of our alumni to return to campus or to engage with us. Somebody once shared with me, um, talking about DEIB, sort of on that continuum. I'm not going to get it right. So if you're on the call right now, you can tell me what the right language is here, but it's Diversity is being invited, or no, being make sure you're inviting everybody. Uh, inclusion, and I'm going to get it wrong, but diversity, it's uh, inviting everybody. Everyone feels welcome to come. And then when they do come, they participate. So if someone was using a dance metaphor, you're invited to the dance, they show up at the dance, and they get out on the dance floor and dance. That's, that's, that's what you're talking about. I love that. <laughs> that's exactly right. And that's what we need to be doing with all of our alumni, you yeah. know, uh, whether it's their. 50th class or whether they're one year class, everybody needs to feel a part of. Love it. Love it. Cheryl, one of the unique attributes of UCSD and in, in the program that you all have been building there is the career services alumni engagement alignment model, which I think UCSD might have been the first or very one of the first few schools in the country to, to sort of organize career services and underneath advancement. So for, to take advantage of the synergies there with 
uh, involving alumni and getting them to participate in career-themed uh, volunteer opportunities and programs. Uh, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. You, you had both of those units uh, reporting to you through the organizational model there. What are some of the pros and cons of that model? And would you still advise other universities to align this way? <laughs> you know, this is one that I'm on the fence about. Uh, I have loved having career services as a part of my portfolio. I'm actually in the Career Services Center today, um, you know, as we're talking. But uh, it it allows you to get to know the students and understand the students so that when you're out talking with alumni and friends, you have an understanding of what you are talking about in terms of the university, not just you're hearing something from a dean or a faculty member, you're actually experiencing it with the students. I have been able to work to bring alumni and students together. And I hear alumni say, I wish I had this when I was a student on campus. Hmm. We have platforms for mentoring. Uh, we have over 25,000 people on our platform. Uh, they, they have been able to do mentoring. Uh, we do panels. We do something called Take a Triton to Work that we created about five years ago. It's a one-day shadow program. And in the most recent iteration, we had about over 300 students uh, to participate. Then they get to go out for a day and shadow alumni uh, on the job. And sometimes it leads to internships. It leads to a job or, you know, helping the student to understand their pathway. Faculty are teaching the theory of things. The alumni are, are teaching life and wow. what actually happens out there. So, um, yes, I would highly recommend uh, the, the, uh, partnership. Uh, and it, I love it under the advancement model, but I would also say if it's in student affairs, that student affairs and alumni, stop thinking of it as a territory. You know, work together as a partnership and come together um, to be able to provide the students, the future alumni, um, opportunities so that they can survive uh, in the next life. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the number one campus partnership that has to be in place on any, whether it's in or outside the structure. Career services, enrollment, um, uh, communications, athletics, there's others, but I mean, those are all really important ones. Absolutely. The career services alignment, you know, underneath academic affairs can work because you really need the, you know, the, the faculty, the academy to, to acknowledge the importance of uh, these career based narratives for all students, not just the ones who come from parents who are mm -hmm. can push them towards the career center. And, you know, if I could go back and do one thing different in my own role, it was to your point about getting to know the students would be. I could do have done such a better job of engaging alumni if I knew more about what the students were interested in as individuals. Yeah. Then I could find the alumni and say, hey, I've got a student that's really interested in X. You know, would you be able to help? And and rather than starting with alumni and hoping to find students that are interested in their work, I think it would have been better if I could have gone the other way. Absolutely. The critical 
part, Ryan, is that students are, you know, they their wills are turning, you know, so sometimes as a student, we've all been students before, you think the path is very straight and we know that it's a windy road. So they have to hear many things to understand that it is just not one way. I have many students who'll come in and say, I only want to work at Google or I only want to work at Amazon. And I'm like, Oh, that's great. But you're on you're gonna have a very narrow focus on what you learn. Go look at smaller companies, see what they do, uh, because you may be able to broaden your skills. Or there are many companies that do very similar things that Google and Amazon do. You're just not looking at that. And I think the connection with the alumni, uh, they can they can gather that kind of information. Well, I'm going to ask you about. Go ahead, Ryan. Sorry. No, it's all you. We're yeah, going to, we're going to move to asking Cheryl about her new job. Yeah, that's what I want to talk about a little bit. But but talk about your your career path because I always find it fascinating. I mean, people who are in roles and move into various levels of you know advancement roles. So you started out, if my memory is correct, North Carolina A and T. Yes. Uh, moved east, or I sorry, moved west. You went west, right? New Mexico. No, you okay. You say it then. Where you tell us your path? <laughs> <laughs> I started at North Carolina A&T State yep. University and shout out for A&T because I got my foundation there 10 years. Oh, cool. um, you know, so literally worked in every facet of advancement. Uh, then I went to James Madison University. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. And then to Washington State University, Pullman, Washington, then to New Mexico State University. That's where I, that's where I met you in New Mexico. Yes, right. exactly. New Mexico. Las Cruces, New Mexico. You cannot get there from here. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you probably can't get to Pullman either from yeah, <laughs> You're right. Yeah. So then UCSD. UCSD. And soon, very soon, Georgia State University. You know, I I was talking to the team the other day and I was like, there's no particular major. uh, There's no particular school or what have you to get in this business. You can be introverted. You can be extroverted. Uh, You know, you have to be willing to do the work. And I have thoroughly enjoyed being a part of advancement over the last 30 years and uh, being a part of the relationships and uh, all that goes with advancement. This, this, this new move, most, most it's going to be in May, I think May one, you start in your new role. Was it to be the, the VP again, going back? Or was it to move back towards family? I mean, combination of things for this last it's it's a combination of things. I, I have a very strong faith. Uh, so this came out of the blue. I wasn't looking. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is divine intervention. Yes, I get closer to home. Even though I'm a UCLA grad, I uh, was born and raised in North Carolina. Uh, so it's closer. My mom is excited that I'm coming closer to right. her. Um, but Georgia State is up and coming as well. And if you look at the things they've been doing over the last few years, they have a new president. And I'm looking forward to building uh, my own team as an advancement team and teaching them some of the things that I have learned over time um, that makes advancement successful. 
Awesome. Well, it's hard to believe um, that you know the the cross country trip back to uh, Georgia is coming upon you May first. Is that right? So actually, it has been backed up a little bit. April okay. 29th is when I'm going to start because May first is commencement. May first, second, and third <laughs> is commencement. So we decided to back it up a couple of days, just about a week ago. So what do you think are some of the, the challenges that you're going to face early on as you as you adopt to that new role? Patience. <laughs> you know, we all want everything to happen now. And uh, advancement is a build, stabilize, grow business. And it takes everyone getting on board for that to happen. Um, you know, Georgia State was a commuter school 20 years ago, uh, and now it's a full-fledged uh, campus experience, all of that kind of stuff. So you, we're going to have to work with alumni in terms of, you know, more than 20 years ago, they were not part of that excitement, that experience. But what I understand is they love the campus and how do we draw that love out to what the campus is today? Um, so I am one who who loves for things to just happen. I have a lot of patience, but as I get older, I'm like, my patience is getting <laughs> <laughs> smaller. So I've just got to have patience and, and build things the right way. Yeah, I've several clients recently who fit similar description. One comes to mind right away. UNC Charlotte could almost say verbatim what you just said about their history. 20 years ago and older, they were uh, almost all commuter. And over the last 20 years, they've become very, even even Temple University to some degree has a similar history. So there's there's definitely patterns out there we can look at and see who's figured it out. But you're right. It's a huge challenge to get those folks that came and went very transactional experience versus the people having the campus experience now. Yeah, and there's different eras of experience, you know, yeah. uh, in a lot most universities, which is one of the unique aspects of our work across the board. You know, when you've got, you know, a, a school that goes through a name change, or maybe it absorbs another campus, right? Or maybe there was an era where a president, you know, or the leadership team was not particularly, uh, you know, and, and they weren't investing in engagement and in, in alumni. And, and now you're trying to do a new job where you're adapting not just to the new place, but all these different eras of experiences and, and how those eras kind of changed people's views of the university, which is definitely part of the challenge that we face as professionals. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you have last question and then we'll we'll sign off for our live show. Did you have a connection with Georgia State? I know you're, you said you're from that area. You said it kind of came out of the blue. It, it came out of the blue, and uh, thank you to Wit Kiefer uh, <laughs> to helping me. I, I, you know, I've had people to contact me. I just hit seven years on the twenty first at uh, UC San Diego uh, year completion. Uh, so, you know, I again, I think it was divine intervention. It was the right timing. I've had people call me before and I'm like, nope, I got too many things to do here. Uh, but I feel like I've left, I'm leaving UC San Diego in a great place, built a lot of good relationships, built a good team um, who can carry on the work that we've developed together. And um, I can go help someone else. 
Great. Congratulations on all the all you've accomplished at UCSD, and we'll be rooting for you as you take on the reins at, at Georgia State. Chris, uh, who are we going to have on the next alumnus before we record our bonus segment with Cheryl? It'll be our third guest from the UK, I think, right? I remember correctly, but uh, she's not really. She's in the UK right now, but the fabulous Nicole Kempton, who I met at Duke University. Um, she was the chief of staff to Dave Kennedy in the advancement operation and is a phenomenal thinker, uh, a great writer. I mean, I've seen so much work that I'm just so impressed. And we asked her to come and do some work with us through CMEC. And she's already hitting the ground running. And she's got some really great experience. She's a Duke alum uh, and worked at Duke for many years and has you know, a lot of uh, advancement background through Duke. But she sees the world and just a fantastic. Uh, yeah, I'm excited to highlight our one of our newest team members on uh, alumnus in two weeks time. So that'll be fantastic. All right. Well, thank you for those of us or those of you watching on LinkedIn or YouTube for for doing so, whether that's today on Friday or a different time. And for those of you who are listening to this audio only on the podcast edition, stay tuned for the second half of our, our interview with Cheryl Harrelson from UCSD. We'll be right back. Hey, Chris. A couple of weeks ago, we were at a conference together in New York City, and everyone was buzzing about how AI is going to play a role in shaping the future of advancement. Yeah, it's it was the clear theme of the conference and on everyone's mind. And when I'm at a conference like that, I do my best to talk to everybody I possibly can and hear what they're thinking. Everyone I talked to, and I had a list of 53 people I ended up bumping into or meeting with, AI was on everyone's mind. It was definitely interesting to hear the conversation about AI level up recently with ChatGPT coming into the news. Because actually, we've been talking about AI and machine learning with Max and the team at Protopia for the last few years now. Yeah. Well, you know, when I looked at Protopia a couple of years ago, I was blown away by what it, was, it seemed like a huge leap forward in technology and how we engage with our alums and connect them with our students and our donors. Um, it, I think it's also a great lead generation tool. I've been recommending it to my clients now for a couple of years, and it's a solution that should be investigated by everyone for sure. And I tell my, I try to stay agnostic, but I tell my clients, make sure you look at Protopia. It's transforming the way we think about and how we measure alumni engagement. And already that's why leaders at schools like Denison, LSE, Duke, Pitt, VCU, Florida State, and others have partnered with Protopia to use the power of AI to help students and alumni connect with each other. And we are psyched to have Protopia as our first presenting sponsor. Uh, to me, to me, it's a no-brainer. If I were leading an alumni relations shop today, it would be one of the first things I would do would be to install this technology and have it connect our alums to each other and to our students. We recommend all alumless listeners head over to protopia.co forward slash alumless. That's P-R-O-T-O-P-I-A dot C-O forward slash a-L-U-M dash L-E-S-S and schedule a time to chat with the Protopia team. They'll be happy to talk shop for a few minutes and share more about their exciting AI-powered technology. Welcome back to the bonus segment of Alumnus with Cheryl Harrelson, Associate Vice President at UC San Diego and soon to be Vice President University Advancement at Georgia State University. Well, I feel like it would be worth it at the, the top of the bonus section to talk a little bit about your move to Atlanta, which 
is, you know, probably really exciting. And uh, I thought we'd ask you about just that. What do you get most excited about thinking about that move back to the East Coast and living in Atlanta? Uh, I think I'm most excited about new space, new city. Um, you know, I am, I, in my career, I'm very much a builder. So I'm looking forward when I get to the campus building on the program, what they built on for a number of years and how do I take the best practices that I've gained from all of the institutions and make that fit uh, at Georgia State University. That I think that's one of the things people don't necessarily get right. They try to take a program from another institution and just insert it right into one and, you know, into a space, but you really have to take and shape and take the pieces that are right, uh, you know, for an institution. But I'm excited about building new relationships and uh, getting people connected to the institution. I wanted to ask you quick about uh, one portion of your title, actually, talk, thinking about bringing your role and, and your sort of experiences to, to your new shop. Um, you have the, the words pipeline development in your title, alumni, annual giving and pipeline development. And I wanted to ask, you know, was that your idea? Uh, and was it a separate team for pipeline development? Was it how did that sort of manifest itself in um, philosophically or, or programmically in terms of how you developed your team there? And, and will you carry that notion to, to Georgia State? So uh, pipeline development became a part of my title when I first started. Uh, I can't remember who came up with the idea, but it was a great idea, I think. Um, and we actually have a have these very large boards uh, outside our doors of what pipeline development is. And so it's not just about one thing. You know, it it's essentially from student to alumni and how we bring all the parts together. Um, so it's not just pipeline moving it from, uh, you know, this phase to a gift or whatever. Yes, of course, we want gifts in the end, but pipeline may be that you move from students to to a mentor. Uh, you know, whatever you become in life, to UC San Diego is how we move you through that pipeline and get it continuing to engage you, engage you, engage you, <laughs> uh, you know, over your lifespan. Yeah. Chris, as, as uh, someone who's coached other vice presidents, other leaders and engagement, those we often work with, with people who are, are taking on new roles and are going through periods of transition. Uh, what would you advise uh, Cheryl as she's making this transition and sort of trying to diagnose all the, the happenings and challenges and opportunities at, at that new organization? Anyone else, I would say, go ask Cheryl. But to <laughs> Cheryl, I would say, listen to your own advice. If you have to replay this recording, listen to what you just said. <laughs> but yes. here's a few things I wrote down when I was preparing, Ryan, is, and, and you hit on them in your answer already. Uh, for me, it's take time to know the culture of the place. And a very practical thing, I encourage new staff at any level, really, but certainly even at VP level, to take a tour of the campus, multiple tours. Listen from listen to different students talk about how they describe the place. 
like those admissions tours where you're with a bunch of parents and prospective students, hop on the back of one of them and just walk around. I think you'll learn a lot about the place that you just moved to. And then the last one I, 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 I adopted a little bit. I, I tell alumni leaders that they should send in, in a five day week. They should spend one day out on campus, one day out on the road and three days running their office. I think it's a little different, especially for a new VP. I think it's, I, I have it uh, one, two, and two in this model. One day um, out on campus, meeting your partners and colleagues, two days out on the road, meeting the alumni and listening to what's happening, but two days in the office, running the operation and getting to know your team and getting the pieces in place you need. And, and that's, a, that's not going to happen every week, but over the course of a year, roughly 20% of the time, on campus, 40% of the time out on the road listening and 40% coaching and mentoring and running that operation you got to run. That, those would be things I would say to a new VP. Makes sense to me. Seems like pretty I good like advice. It. I like it. <laughs> could you could you share some of the details, Cheryl, about uh, the alumni engagement metrics formula that you all created at UCSD? And I understand that kind of parallels Case's model, but that you actually have a, a weighted scale, zero to five, and there's a, a score that's that's given to each alum, which is great. I mean, we we often talk about scoring, and and how did you use that that weighted model and that scoring as part of your work? Absolutely. So uh, we have a fantastic data team here at UC San Diego in advancement, and they are the ones who helped us to create this scoring model, uh, taking into account. Uh, anything from being on an advisory board uh, to engaging an event or a service project to uh, giving to the university. And so I, I couldn't tell you how much each piece has a weight, <laughs> but mm -hmm. they are things that are trackable on a regular basis. So it does not include yet our social engagement because we don't yet have the tools to do that, uh, which I'm lobbying for, especially as I walk out the door. Uh, but it, it gives us a score, uh, like you said, from zero to five uh, in terms of engagement with five being the highest level um, of engagement. And uh, the one thing that we have found, we have uh, our team also built how much, how many people are giving back to the institution based on each one of those scores. And we found at the highest level of engagement, which is a five, more than 50% of those people are giving back to uh, the institution in sort. Uh, in terms of dollars. Uh, we also find that those who are engaged give three times more than those who are not engaged. So as you go down the scale, you'll find less, fewer and fewer donors uh, that have given back to the institution. So, you know, the chancellor always says to me, can't we get more people to this five? And I'm like, I'm <laughs> trying. <laughs> And, 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 and if I've seen several models and I've actually seen the UC zero to five scale and what, what's your roughly speaking, your alumni base at UC San Diego, 400,000 alumni. Say when How number many? of alumni that you have at UC San Diego. It's about 250,000. Exactly. I thought it was bigger. So 250,000 alumni. My prediction would be is that 
over 150,000 of them are in the low end of that scale, and it gets smaller and smaller as you go up to the zero or two, three, four, five level. Do you remember how many are in that five category? Uh, it, it's probably about 20%. And, okay. and so yeah. what I will say is at some point we have engaged at least half of the database, half of those funds yeah, that's, yeah. at some point or another. Um, it's keeping the continual engagement going. So, you know, right now, if we were just the things that we can track on a regular basis, you see from year to year to year, only about 10% of those people uh, are every single year are engaged. I think that if we have the right tools to look at social engagement and uh, even the stuff we have on graduate, the 25,000 people are not encountered counted into our engagement. They're trying to write those reports. Uh, we would see a little higher uh, engagement there, but you have to work hard to keep people uh, engaged uh, in any place. But I, I think we have a, a good formula going. But would it drive your decision making? What were sort of the uh, tangible things you did with this these numbers? Did your staff take them and say we're only going to invite the fours and fives, or we're only going to invite? Them? How did it work? No, uh, it was how do we keep get people from the zeros Got to it. start <laughs> engaging? How do we take the one, twos, and threes? And really, how do you utilize the the fours and the fives to help you engage other people? Yeah, deepen the engagement. Right. Yeah, how do how do you work to get them to help engage? And in some people you talk to, they say, I'm really engaged. When folks roll off the board and I started talking to them, they say, I'm uber engaged. You don't have to worry about me. I will be there to support you. Uh, so then th those are the folks you want to utilize to help get more right. people yep. uh, out and engaged. Often thought there's a uh, probably an underdeveloped strategy across our space around engaging emeritus board members, right? Who do what what you've just described, right? Which is now you've worked them through your your you know engagement strategies. They've participated in the culminating experience as a board member, and then they graduate uh, off the board and and become an, an advocate that often is kind of doing their own thing in. In a less organized way, and uh, yet, um, you know, it feels like there's an emeritus opportunity, right? Those for those folks. But, but getting back to the uh, thinking about metrics and analytics, and Chris and I all the time we we talk with uh, alumni leaders, advancement leaders who are struggling to put together the technology, the and the analysis the data management to be able to create what you created and, and build that scoring methodology and, and then do something with it, right? Once it's been created, is there an optimum structure or resource allocation when it comes to, you know, assembling the, the, the analytics team that you've assembled there? And, and what would you advise, you know, another university similar to yours thinking about doing this effectively? Sure. So um, <laughs> here's where I say we fail as universities uh, because we think 
if we put all of our money into frontline fundraisers and send everybody out to raise money, it's going to solve all the problems. Uh, Ryan and Chris, you all know from from many years that people don't start at a million dollars. They don't start at a hundred thousand dollars. It's usually ten dollars, twenty dollars, uh, a call that they got from a student or what have you. So you have to build the resources across the board. It's about having quality people and just as much effort as you put into uh, a frontline fundraiser you equally have to put into that analytics team or into that uh, alumni team or what have you. I, I would say get you a good, you know, I don't know, four or five people. It depends on how, how big your um, structure is. You know, the process is still the same, whether you have 10 alumni or 250,000 alumni. So building that uh, piece in which you can analyze is going to take the same amount of resource. So maybe you bring in some temporary resources uh, to help get it going. But I say to people, take one thing at a time, at least start getting your engagement data in the system. Then work with your team to build things. And the two data points that I talked to you about a few minutes ago, the engagement score, and then having that piece telling how many people give at at each level can be it. You don't need a thousand different things. Get a score and then figure out how many, you know, get that percentage of how many people are giving. Because then you can go to the table and say, hey, this is how we work together. This is how we work across the board. And that we need this engagement to get to this end goal of giving. And so, yeah, you got to you gotta invest into your uh, analytic, analytics people. I think it's definitely a critical and one interesting piece that Chris and I often talk about is the price tag on a data science professional who has the capabilities to do some of the stuff that you described is is senior level, you know, and it's it's often an overlooked expense, and plenty of schools don't have it. You know, Case in their um, most recent report shared that amongst the schools who were even able to report out on their four modes of engagement and count engagement activity, that very uh, small, I think it was about half of them had a dedicated data person, right? And I think it's a real opportunity in our space for growth, but yeah. I, I would also say utilize students. If you have a data science program, a computer science program, use students. And as I said in the uh, live show, I've worked in every facet of advancement, um, thanks to North Carolina A&T. So at James Madison, I was more on the advancement services side, leading that team. And I had about 15 students working with us in advancement services, smart kids who come in and think about things you never think about, you know, because they're, they're curious and they're exploring and all of that kind of stuff. But uh, we were able to get a lot of our work done uh, with, with students. We, we, I'm going to 
pivot us a little bit because I want to I want to get your fortune telling skills set here out. So uh, we talked a little bit about what the conversation was like at the CAA meeting a few weeks ago, where there was mostly you know convergence on it, but the divergence was on you know whether or not we're frontline fundraisers. You said because that was a really good distinguishing line. I had some people who were on the yet yeah, we're all in, other people like no we're all out that concept. But let me ask you to dive a little deeper and say crystal ball ten years from now, what's advancement? wherever we want to go, but the advancement broadly, you can talk about alumni engagement within it, going to look like in 10 years. We talked about this at CAAE as well as AAUC, which is Alumni Associations of the UC, uh, just a few days ago. And I'm I'm making the same speech uh, today that I, I did there. One, if we don't fundamentally change the way we do our business and advancement, there will be no advancement in 10 years. Uh, We have to know how the entire operation works together, that one is not superior to the other piece, and that alumni engagement, alumni, community, friend, parent (laughs) engagement is critical to the ultimate goal of what we do. Alumni are there for the rest of their lives. You know, it's friends come and go, but alumni are there always. And so uh, we must change the structure uh, in, you know, the top 5% give the largest gifts and then you let people control things and that sort of thing. Everybody's willing to give if you engage them in the right way. And so we have to figure out how do I pivot and not just do, say, a big event, you know, and think it's y'all coming, everybody's going to do. You have to know how to do the smaller things to feed into the larger kinds of things. And so if we don't change how we do that business, we, we will be non-existent in 10 years. Right. There you have it. <laughs> all the all the pieces got to fit together, right? And the, all of it needs to showcase its return on investment. It seems so simple, but we've we've kind of been operating in parallel paths, right? And um, we often work with teams that are the pull from the alumni side is 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 really a hindrance um, to to be thinking about um, not being part of the fundraising yes. and doing something different. Although we're underneath the same vice president, right? It's, it's a real challenge, but I think that's changing. And I think that's, you know, we'll find a lot of vice presidents that are looking for our help in how to put those pieces together effectively. Absolutely. Yep. Um, right, well, in the interest of Friday cheers, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, in the interest of time, we're going to um, go to our Friday cheers section. Each episode, we, we try to take a moment at the end of the show to talk about what's on our mind. Maybe it's not uh, investment related. Maybe it's a book you've read or a podcast or an article. It could be anything, but something that's got you thinking this week. What What is your Friday cheers? Um, my Friday cheers uh, is twofold. One, I saw the movie Madam Web uh, last week. And if you <laughs> haven't seen it, go see it. Um, it you have to be kind of nerdy, quirky. Uh, <laughs> to understand it it but it's all about 
uh, thinking, well, other than it's a Marvel story, is thinking in different ways, you know, and and I don't want to give away the movie, but the person is saying, if you use your thinking power and ability, then, you know, it, it becomes unlimited. Uh, you know, so if we use our thinking powers and ability in multiple ways, I think our life is unlimited. Um, I also want to say another Friday Chi. I was on LinkedIn last night and one of uh, our former students, you know, said, I'm starting a new position. And I went and liked the comment and said, congratulations. And I got a note back from the student uh, that said, um, thank you so much. I recall when I was an undergraduate, how you helped me and it has really shaped who I am today and all of that. And I went to bed and I said, my job is done. (laughs) (laughs) If I just helped one person, uh, then that is what I was supposed to do. So that's my Friday cheer. Cheryl, yeah. you, you, you answered the question that we skipped, which was, what are you most proud of accomplishing in your time at UCSD right there? That's perfect. Love it. How about you, Chris? What's your Friday cheers? Yeah, mine's a simple one. I, 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 if I am home, and I do travel quite a bit, but I'm home more than I travel. My wife would argue with that, but I am home more than I travel. But when I am home, I drive my son into school each morning. And it is the most, he's a 13-year-old seventh grader. And it's, you know, it's a 15 minute drive into school. And it's one of the most important 15 minutes of my day is just to spend that really quality. And today was a silly thing. We were laughing and, and, and the laughter was, I started singing a song. I remembered from when I was a kid, it was a, an old John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd. Remember when they did the Blues Brothers songs and the song was called Rubber Biscuit. And I started singing it to him. He's like, where's that from? So I pulled it up on YouTube. And we listened to it in the car right over and just for laughing. And he's like, I love that song. The, the, the one of the lines in the song is, the other day I had a wish sandwich. A wish sandwich is the kind of a sandwich where you have two pieces of bread and you wish you had some meat. <laughs> so he went, he got out of the car, found one of his friends and started saying, hey, I'm going to have a wish sandwich for lunch today. You know, it like became a thing. So it was just really fun bonding moment. And I just wanted to share that. It was, I just cool. loved that time with him. And I love it. Enjoyed it. It was very cool. That's awesome. My Friday cheers. I um I think about my career in our line of work and this line of work really started in, in restaurants for me. Um, I worked pretty much every position in a restaurant, in the kitchen, and waiting tables, bartending, busing tables when I was a junior in high school. And I've always kind of loved cooking and cuisine and um still love eating out. And you know, we recently um signed a new CMAC partner that is this really fantastic association that has been helping um, junior high schoolers and high schoolers get experience in restaurant work and hospitality and help them form and then scholarships to potentially culinary schools and and other types of uh, opportunities uh, that um, it's called, the organization is called CCAP and it's called Careers Through Culinary Arts Program. And it's been around for... Uh, over 30 years, which I didn't know. I thought it was newer than that. And it's helped over 370,000 students 
uh, and awarded $71 million in scholarships to help students accelerate their careers in hospitality. And they're going to be a new CMAC client. We're going to help them build their alumni program. So as a guy who's worked in restaurants, I know how challenging it is to yeah. find, contact, and talk with chefs. However, uh, I bet it's going to be a really fun challenge that uh, will yeah. yield some really unique conversations that will be just incredibly rewarding to have. So that's my Friday cheers. I'm grateful for that opportunity. And uh, Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be tracking yeah. your move across the country. And uh, <laughs> look forward to checking in with you when you pop your head up at uh, your new gig. In Once Atlanta. you catch your breath at Georgia State, we'll have you back on. You can tell us whether or not it was what you thought it was. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you uh, well, both. I appreciate today. Yeah. For Cheryl and Chris, I'm Ryan. We'll be back in two weeks with Nicole Kempton, one of our CMAC consultants and uh, team member at Duke University. So until then, thank you so much. Have a great weekend and we'll be back again soon. Have a great Thank you, day. Everybody. Thank bye you. Bye-bye.